we just got in the room and did what we do and we like we made that it's you know we made love this way and we do it real good and it feels great and everybody comes and you know other people we've 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 got our opening for the podcast (laughs) (laughs) welcome back to fresh off the spaceship i'm larry mizell jr dj writer and your host in this podcast and i'm your co-host martin douglas Throughout each episode of this podcast, we've been diving into the story of the Black Constellation, the members, their work, and their stories. On the last episode, we investigated the deep musicality, Mr. Otis Calvin III, also known as O.C. Notes. If you haven't listened back to that or any of the previous episodes, do clear some space out immediately and go check those out. They provide valuable context into our next story. On this episode, we're taking a look at the life and work of Eric Blood, an essential component in the Constellation's exploration of sound. In addition to being the go-to production virtuoso who has worked aboard for some of Black Constellation's most beloved works, he is also a producer for hire and a remarkable solo artist in his own right. I feel that Eric Blood is the key to all the successful albums that have come out of Seattle from late 2000s up until now. He's worked with so many motherfuckers and and nobody even like, I mean, if you got an ear, you can hear it, but like, he really is the key and the factor and and the current, you know? He's a genius. I mean, that word is thrown out, whatever, genius. No, he actually is a genius. Each member of the Black Constellation has not only a diversity of stylistic approaches, but a diversity of taste as well. In earlier episodes, we've alluded to the idea of genre as a mere construct, and Eric Blood is emblematic of that idea. From being an early fan of Diggable Planets and Cocteau Twins to producing indie rock and punk bands on shoestring budgets, Blood's love of music and skill in capturing its recorded essence knows no boundaries. you have followed the Seattle music scene at all in the last 15 plus years, chances are you've heard something Blood worked on. It doesn't matter if it's hip-hop, indie rock, or experimental electronic work. Just to name a few. Taco Cat. Moondoggy. Champagne Champagne. Breaks and Swells. Stephanie. Pickwick, part man, part horse. Tea Cozy. As a Fezza. Lady Krishna's Peppermint Lounge. Stickers. Oh, 
Foxmod, Tayshawn, Crypts. And that's just scratching the surface, before even getting into his work with the Black Constellation. Eric has touched so much of Seattle's artistic output, I see it like a huge Venn diagram with blood at the center. It's wild for me to think of that, because it always just feels like, <laughs> you know, it always just feels like you're kind of, you're, you're alone in your, in your lab and making the experiments, and then whenever you encounter it outside or if you find someone that you maybe don't know who who has encountered it, it's such a, it's such a bizarre and really wonderful feeling and experience. Blood's musical range is vast and diverse. He grew up loving bands like Cocteau Twins and My Bloody Valentine, which would greatly inform his own approach to music. But as Blood and I have both experienced being black and into bands outside of the box you're put in, is too much for some people to comprehend. I'm obviously not a white person, but no. <laughs> uh, too many people I haven't always obviously been a black person. Hmm. And even like my interests, my hobbies would sometimes be evidence weighed against me as for why I was not. Oh, you like that. You be reading. You like that white boy shit when it comes to the music or whatever. So did that stuff ever kind of come into play for you? It must have. Dude. All the fuck. We've just been talking about Cocteau Twins. Yeah, come on. <laughs> come on. Yeah. Like, can you imagine right. in 1993 yeah. playing Cocteau Twins for kids who are listening to Onyx? Like back the fuck up. They're literally that's white people shit. Yes. I don't want that. That's white people shit. Um my family even at one point was like, this is white people music. Shit, my mom <laughs> gave me the ration of shit on the reg about that. Shit. Uh Ish actually told me a story when he was working in a record store playing Cocteau Twins. A record store. I I I, Probably in New York this, yeah, this was in New York. This was East Coast. But he said that he would play Cocteau Twins and pe- and like his friends would be like, "You are crazy for listening to this." That's word. It. Like, what the hell? <laughs> and it, like to me, that's like a that's a mentality that that we are actively fighting against. And I'm talking about the constellation at this point, like, because yeah. all of us have that story. Stas has told me about that shit. Like, she was a rock kid too, right. mm-hmm. you know. And we all have that story of of like asking the question, why? Like, why is that not allowed to me? Why am I not? Why am I? Why am I somehow out of range of art? Yeah, right. How is that a thing? Like why? Why would I? <laughs> why would I not be allowed to take in any art right. and and let it affect me? 
Blood thankfully ignored the boundaries people tried to put him in and explored his muses, leading him to where he is today. As a producer, his approach is real simple. Getting the band in the studio and allowing the vision to reveal itself. I put them in a room that I inhabit. That's kind of all I do, like, in general. When I mix, <laughs> is I, I put sounds in a room that I am in. It's like organizing your it's like arranging your furniture or hanging art like what goes where where is where does this fit uh is there egress <laughs> and exits like <laughs> so it's just like tone sculpting when a band works with blood they seem to just keep coming back to him one of his most fruitful relationships is with the bright and sarcastic seattle band taco cat Eric is so good to work with. Um, I think that what I really like about working with him is that he pushed me to like think more creatively about almost everything. Like I really respected him, but I also, you know, we became really close friends and shared a lot of musical interests together. And like he and I would stay late and just like geek out on harmonies. We would just be the biggest harmony dorks and he would... And I was just really open to his feedback in a way where I think, you know, like some musicians already know exactly what they want and they're doing it their way. And the producer's just there to kind of capture it. But it felt more collaborative with Eric where he was like, why don't you try to sing it like this? Or why maybe we can do a harmony here or here. And it was all just such great ideas. And we would just like kind of bounce off each other, like, let's add more, let's add more. And yeah, so working with him from my perspective, like my part of the deal was just awesome. It is a collaborative effort of, of like creating, like, like you come in with nothing or you come in with, with a seed and then we have to nurture that. Um, or we have to get into the right, we have to get, find the vibration that we're in harmony with and then let it, let it roll. Noakes and Blood even ended up being neighbors furthering their friendship both in and outside of music. That was so fun. At the Laurelton, that was like peak Laurelton, just like all the friends living there and getting to know him and Joe, his partner, was really fun. And I remember when we first recorded <laughs> Lost Time and he was like still kind of doing his thing with the tracks. I would see him smoking on the front porch and he's like, tell me what song he's listening to and like, say a couple things like, I think I'm going to do this to it. I'll get back to you tomorrow. And it was just like cool to see him in person with headphones on listening to our music. While Blood is open to recording any band or genre, he does maintain discretion. When he was approached by Pickwick to record their new record, he pushed the band to do some homework before agreeing to work with them. He really took Pickwick under his tutelage in kind of a long process kind of way where he started by sending us YouTube videos because he knew we needed to grow and expand for the second record. Um, so you know, like Roy Ayers, 
Ubiquity, um, Everyone Loves the Sunshine, some Stevie Wonder, uh, some other amazing stuff. And But it expanded our horizons and gave us an idea of how he thought we should grow as a band before recording Lovejoy's. Because he liked Can't Talk Medicine fine, but he wasn't that into it. He thought we needed to grow a little bit before he would be on board. When Blood was with the band in the studio, he continued to push them to experiment. He is one of those people that uh, has innovative, impressive ideas before you even know you need new ideas. We credited him as a songwriter on a couple of the tracks because he was so influential, just in terms of mixing wizardry, where he collected bits that we'd recorded when we didn't realize the recording was happening. And he saved those and then repurposed them in these kind of amazing and warped ways. They're, it's dense on the record, but Thought It Was You is the song I'm thinking of because that was like the most rewarding song for me because it's deep uh, sonically and there's a lot of layers but it's dense too so if you don't really listen a few times to parse out all the elements um, you might miss them be indebted to Eric and the care and the love that he gave to our little band. So, Eric Blood forever till the day I die. Marquita Miller recalls Blood recording her band Breaks and Swells. Marquita and Blood would later collaborate together on the Knife Nights album. We did uh, Breaks and Swells. We did We Will Not Despair, our last record with him. And I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't feel like he was really pushing us one way or another, but just really helping us to refine what was already there, like see what was already there, give things space. You know, Eric's looking for different things depending on what project he's in. But I think just the overarching is... That feeling that he's just gonna direct you to the correct place. Like, he's gonna help you find it. As long as I'm with you, I just want, I just wanna do with you. I just want, I just wanna do with you. Within Blood's production catalog are also dozens of underground classics like the band Stephanie's 2012 album, One Glove. 
I just found the sessions for the Stephanie record. I'm actually going to pull those up pretty soon and revisit. Just, I love, that's one of my favorite records I've ever done. They were another one, like I was walking to Volunteer Park for Vibrations Festival and I, from down the street, I heard them performing and was like, this sounds cute and got to the stage just in time to see them play Mercy and Undercovers. And I was like nearly in tears shaking because I was just, this is so fucking good. So, yeah, I just did my annoying thing and like walked up to him and was like, I love you. I love you. I love you. Please let me record you. I'll do you right. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I laid my rap on him and <laughs> it worked. So we just booked, we booked sessions almost immediately. And I think we only went, I think it was just like two days or something, two days of tracking because they didn't have no money. Um but I know how to work fast. So it was just two days of tracking. And then I, I sum up with a four track cassette recorder while I mixed and just made, they made little, <laughs> little trill demos and shit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. God, I love them so much. I miss that band. Yeah, me too. Is that how that process works when you, when you record local bands that, you know, don't have any money It's like you, you hear them and then you approach them and you're like, I love you. Please let me record you. Yes. That's dope. That's, How did you- that's my entire that's my entire <laughs> game. <laughs> Another full length in Blood's run of obscure Seattle classics is the 2008 album from now defunct punk quartet, part man, part horse, Year of the Jerk. Ghost Ride the Whip. Ghost Ride the Whip. Let's walk around outside and Ghost Ride the Whip. But I got my grades, I got my grades But I'm not hurt so high, I jump off the gates But I got my grades Say cheese, jack, cheddar, gouda if you please You got that me, you smell me I get numb and I have full Cause I go so, so dumb, dumb, dumb After recording our first self-titled album in our basement which flooded all the time and kept having to pull dead rats out of and mummified cats. We, even though it sounded pretty cool, we really wanted something more fancy, more Eric bloody. So I blasted him a hotmail message, said, yo, what's up? You want to do this? And even though I said we didn't have much money, he agreed to do us a total solid and put our music in the dream books of rock anals. Shots. Come on. 
The decision to pursue Blood's production expertise came after the need for a significant recording upgrade became apparent. Uh, when we showed up to the studio near the Krispy Kreme, working with Eric was a breeze, a freeze, and a giant butt squeeze. I mean, you play the things and he turns the rings, you know. He had his room, we had our room, the instruments were in the broom closet, and we got the job done in one day. Eric Blood is the ultimate relaxed professional. For the record, Gary Smith still uses Hotmail as his primary email provider. Hmm. And this, my friends, is where the cosmic rap rock seed of Year of the Jerk was planted, watered, cultivated, harvested by the mystical, magical, intelligent, beautiful, handsome, artistic, and most of all, super cuddly Eric Blood. Blood's production work is incredibly prolific. Sometimes he may work with a band only once, but leaves a lasting impression. E.J. Tolentino of Seattle band Charms recalls meeting and working with Blood. I remember the first time I met him, because it was a Halloween show, I was dressed up like uh, (laughs) the uh, baby bear from Goldilocks and the Three Bears, and Eric was dressed as an old-school sailor. So... That was pretty funny and interesting and weird. Um, and I just remember thinking, like, this is the first time I'm meeting this guy and I look like a little baby bear. I think one of the the greatest things about getting to know Eric over the years was he's been just um, just like a solid dude. You know, he's it's one thing to to see him work his magic with uh, music production, but it's another to just know him personally and know that he's just like he's just like always positive about the Seattle music community and the Seattle music scene. Blood isn't one to pick his favorites among his many producer credits. Instead, he revels in being musically promiscuous. I'm always proud of him. Yeah. Um, you know, they're always my kids and I'm always happy to see them live. Uh, but sometimes it's like, yeah, we did a good job. And sometimes it's like, this has a life of its own. Yeah, this is magic. And this was a life of its own kind of situation where it was like, ah, man, we got to ride this wave. We got to do this. Whereas sometimes it's just like, good. Like, yeah, that worked. That worked. Right. Let's, let's do it again sometime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's a, there's an analogy here. You know. <laughs> There's probably a really nasty one. That's what I was going for. Like, <laughs> and you said like, yeah, let's do this again. That kind of felt, I was like, oh, I know that vibe. There's a, yeah, I have a lot uh, of fuck, uh, fuck buddies in the studio. And, <laughs> but you know, I, I, I marry a few, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but it is like, it's, that's the, the, uh, a lot of times I'm beholden to artists like, like, and happily so like beholden to artists. Cause sometimes I come into a project producing a project that I think like even saying producing is kind of, kind of a misnomer. Like I, I work with bands a lot that I just think are perfect. 
And I'm like, I want to translate what you do to a recorded medium for you. And I know how to do it. So I don't necessarily have a lot of input on like the songs or, or how they are performed. And I don't add parts or instrumentation or anything like that. I just capture what is done. And then my contribution, the collaboration on my part comes from placing it in the space that I inhabit and letting it flourish in that space. Growing up, Blood had a wealth of music in his household. In fact, it's difficult for him to remember a time in his life where he wasn't surrounded by music. His mom was always playing records. His dad sang in the church. He would raid his sister's new wave collection, and he constantly had Prince playing in his bedroom. He even got to learn a bit about the music industry from his uncle. My uncle, my uncle Ed, who, who his nickname is Boomy, he is the musician. He has always been my kind of like, the, he's the, the one that I would touch on as my yeah. like musical kind of inspiration. Cause he was also like record, he recorded shit and mm-hmm. he did sound. He like, he worked in, in television, did sound. Wow. Um, yeah. He, uh, he was, he was the coolest person in the world to me. Would you see him recording and stuff? Yeah, he would, we would go to, we would go, uh, I stayed with him in Oakland. He lived in Oakland for a while and I stayed with him for like a week sometime in my teenage years. And we just straight up recorded for that week in his bedroom uh, on a, on a four track or eight track cassette thing. This was the nineties. But Eric's urge to make music of his own came even earlier. When I was like six, I got my first Casio keyboard. And then at some point, I was always just a hustler. Like, so I, I gamed it out. There were these little toy tape machines, like Teddy Ruxpin. Yeah. So, but there was like a Fisher Pricey karaoke ish thing, but it was like you could record on it. And it, what it did was it split the, just the, the stereo sides of the tape so you had a track and then you could record with a microphone onto the other track and then i taught i figured out how to ping pong so i would like record <laughs> I would record shit on this you know, two tracks on this cassette then play it through my parents stereo record that with the microphone onto the tape and then you know sing or do whatever over that so it was like early <laughs> wow. early uh multi-track for me and then Boomy convinced my parents to get me a four-track cassette recorder. And that I got when I was 13, I want to say. And yeah, I mean, game over at that point. Wow. Have you always had that kind of um, aptitude with, with technology? Yeah, I can figure out systems. Um, systems are easy because they have rules. So it's real easy to just figure them out for me. I'm good at math too. Like it's, <laughs> I got the math brain. Yeah. So like, I I immediately can find the corners. Blood's horizons were expanded by the music he was listening to. One band in particular made him realize how limited his access was to the world at the time. It was hearing Cocteau Twins and realizing like there was something. There was something else. Um, because I was, you know, I was a teenager in America. Like I don't have in Tacoma, Washington, I didn't have a lot of access to global culture. So hearing that and then diving into that, 
and actually reading in a Rolling Stone magazine in my high school a review of a Lush album and seeing that it was produced by Robin Guthrie from Cocteau Twins. Mm. And they listed A.R. Kane in that review. Wow. Want to talk about some shit? Come on. Finding out that not only was this new music that I was so in love with, shoegaze music, was also like pioneered by black people. Come on. A.R. Kane and then later the Veld like uh, and the Veld is still going man like it it was like justification like I was like oh yeah thank god like yeah we're we're not all in Tacoma (laughs) like the the world is not just Tacoma Washington Eric Bled grew up in Tacoma. By his account, he had an ordinary childhood. Two working parents, spending days with his grandparents, wholesome stuff. But he did have this very metal name. Way back on episode one, I shared my thoughts about reading the name Eric Blood in print for the first time. Now I thought it was such a cold alias. Blood shared a bit of the history behind his name. When I first heard or saw your name, I was like, oh, is this... Is this person a, a gang member? Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, wow, what a cool stage name. But come to find out, that is your government name. That's yeah. your real name. That is the name uh, The name of my father. The name Blood from, my, um, from the little bit of research that I've done is mostly found in Scandinavia and England. Like it's a Saxon, Saxon name or whatever. But gotcha. uh, there's also the the history of Eric Bloodaxe, the the Viking. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. So it's my father's lineage, I believe, is Norwegian for the most part. So you might be related to Eric Bloodaxe. Entirely possible. Yeah. <laughs> Blood remains close with both of his parents, and the two are stark contrast. His mom's family hails from Mississippi, boisterous, always cracking jokes. His dad grew up on a farm in Spokane, Washington. A quiet but loving and respectful family. My mom is amazing. My mom is like super funny. Again, another like incredibly generous, incredibly lo- like loving to a point that's that's like scary. <laughs> <laughs> like my dad is my personal hero. Uh, I I long to be as loving and giving as he is that's pretty rare uh, yeah for sons to say that and it not be some toxic you know what i mean no he's uh he's he's an he's an angel on earth he is an angel on earth to everyone that he meets and to everyone around him blood notes that he doesn't have the patience of his father 
and suggests he inherited a sense of tough directness by his mother, who used it to protect him after he came out as gay. I don't have that patience mm. because my mom... Because <laughs> <Yeah, I was laughs> my mom is like, just get the fuck out of my house. Right. Not, not literally. Right. Although she did say that once uh, to, to a woman that came over to tell her that I was gay. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. I need this story. Please. Can we get, oh, can we get is, that real quick? Yeah. So my friend, I won't say names. Uh, my friend, this is high school. We were kicking it. We were doing whatever. Like, I think I was probably buying weed from him. And he had told his mother, a deeply religious woman, that I was gay. And she was like, I don't want you hanging out with him that's that's wrong and and he was like you know he was a he was one of the fuck you mom kids like you know which god (laughs) can't imagine Um, but he was like fuck you mom got in the car she goes to my house knocks on the door tells shirley blood (laughs) i just need you to know that your son says that he is gay and that is an abomination in the eyes of the lord and this, like, I am just so scared for your family. And Shirley says, yeah, you know what? I am scared for my son of people like you and your nasty shit. Now get the fuck out of my house. And then slam the door on her. So lovely that you call and listen. I love the way Having both a white and black parent, blood is long dealt with people questioning his identity. I walk around this world looking like a white man to a lot of people, maybe the majority of people. Um, And that's, you know, that it is what it is. It is what it is. Uh, I know who I am. I know what I am. I know where I come from. And the people that have made me, most of them are not white. My mother is black. My father is white. The culture in our home was mixed. It was legit mixed. And we actually, you know, we grew up in the 80s, so it was like you you described yourself as mixed. Right. And I still get called mixed. Like it's... <laughs> Blood's got a very specific memory of encountering the limitations placed on being a biracial person at a pretty young age. I remember doing a... My dad was doing like a census thing... I believe it was for this national census. And he asked me, he was like, do you want me to put that you're black or that you're white? And I was like, well, I'm, I'm black, but this is also the thing is growing up. We were, we were black. That was (laughs) right. That's what the family was. 
and that's just what it was. Yeah. But we did like mix came into play when when the room became mixed. Um so when my dad asked me that I was like, "Well, I'm I I am black, but I'm mixed." So is there a mix? There was not a mixed option. And, and Go figure. Yeah. Well, there is now. Like, there's multiracial. Yeah. yeah there's exactly. multiracial, which to me is erasure. Um, mm-hmm. I, f- I feel like the, like, even, even the term person of color is, is a, is a slight form of erasure to me. Uh, because different people of different colors experience different forms of abuse and different forms of exaltation. No and, it's, I think specificity is an important tool in Thank you. Uh, battling these things. It's BIPOC for me. That shit gets my fucking <laughs> goat. I was like, bisexual people of color have That's a whole say. thing? Like, damn. <laughs> like, oh, there's a new, there must be a new rapper out, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I get around too. That's hilarious. That's my yeah. cut by BIPOC. <laughs> Broad generalizations on race aside, let's just tell it like it is. Blood grew up a black kid in America, and we all know the type of things that are said to black children in this country. Yeah, you know. But due to the fact that he's also half white, he encountered a lack of acceptance from some of the black kids he grew up with as well. I was called a nigger in elementary school by kids. And then in middle school, I was told that I was not black by black kids. And, you know, sure, all of it's correct. Like, do, do, I, I have no control over your feelings about me or about my people. I have no control over who my people are. So do do your worst, you know? I honestly don't care. <laughs> I live in the sun. Yeah. The constant dissection of Blood's quote-unquote white passing identity led him to push himself as far as he could into being black. But then he realized there was another side of himself which maybe ran counter to the type of Afrocentric personality he'd cultivated. Did you always <laughs> feel, like, secure and have that kind of sense of self? Hell no. <laughs> Hell no. I went full on hotep black, black, blackity black in high school because I just, I, I really, really needed it. I needed it. I needed to be in touch with that. Um, and then the thing that really fucked it up was, uh, being gay. (laughs) Can't be hotep. You you can't let BIPOC in here. Yeah. But yeah, like I, I, being gay, like really threw a wrench in the works of, of my identity, um, culturally, I did my cultural identity because a lot of the people that I was, that I was hanging around with were not down. They were not down. And you know, that is what it is. That just is what it is. I don't want it to be what it is. I feel like everyone should be looking at who their common enemies are. And start crossing them off the list, you know? So, yeah, it's always been a, it's always been a thing. It's always been a thing. And it continues to be a thing. Like we're talking about it now. Yeah. Uh, but all I know is that I feel safer when I am surrounded by black people. 
I feel genuinely safer. I feel like an anomaly around white people a lot of the time. Um, or a curiosity. It's weird to, to have to or to want to justify mm-hmm. your cultural heritage. Yeah. Um, and for me, like what it really has evolved into for me is just like I am in a crowd. I, I just sit back and listen. Yeah. Um, because I don't want to take anything from anybody. Sexuality is an enormous part of Blood's music. From notions of sensuality and the styles he plays in to exploring adult film in depth on his solo album Touchscreens, Blood sees the idea of sexuality as a theme that naturally found itself in his work. Sex and sexuality in your music, that's something that's always been there, as far as I can tell. Does that go back to like some of your earliest stuff? Was that in like the turn-ons music and things like that? Yeah. Yeah. Every, I, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a child of Prince. You know, though, like the music that, the music I grew up listening to was always about sex. You know, even if it was saying it was about love, it really wasn't. Right. You know, it was it was the I'll, I'll love you forever tonight kind of thing. <laughs> right. So, yeah, that's everything. Everything in our house was pretty sexual, you know, uh, musically. <laughs> yes. Gotcha. Word. So, yeah, that's always been that's always been a it's it's a fun thing to write about. And it's a it's a fun thing to explore is it a thing that exploring artistically helped you realize in yourself like in life possibly i don't know which i don't know which came first or if they were if it's like a simultaneous like i'm experiencing these things and writing about them at the same time or if i'm yeah i don't know i don't know like with touchscreens nothing in it is about me necessarily (laughs) But then like Lost in Slow Motion is entirely about me. Like it's a very, very personal. And that's, it also deals with a lot of like relationship and sexual shit. But yeah, it was just like reporting from the scene. Given the way Blood embraces sex in all aspects of his life, including music, it makes sense his first band would be called The Turn-Ons. Blood had been practicing bedroom recordings on his own for a while, but the band helped him come into his own as a musician and producer. went to school at the art institute i met these kids that were in a band called the elements and um i started working with them like in a in a kind of producer capacity and ended up joining their band when it became mountain con 
And so I was with Mountain Con for a couple of years. And uh, then I was I was excised from that band because I, <laughs> I uh, wanted, I think I wanted too much control. Um, so <laughs> so they, they nixed me. Uh, and that's when the turn-ons came around. Turn-Ons was my boyfriend at the time's band. And I'm trying to remember how this worked. He was in, so Corey Gutch was my ex. He's he's in, uh, he was in the Turn-Ons and then wasn't in the Turn-Ons. <laughs> and then I he took me to see them and I was like blown away. I thought they were the coolest band ever. And I think after that, he kind of got convinced to join the band again. And that's when I was like pushing them to record. So I you know, produced the first the first record, which I think they all thought was just going to be a demo. But I was like, no, this is really good. And so we like <laughs> pressed it up and sent it to the radio. Uh, and then I joined the band. We did four albums and a couple EPs and recording with the turn-ons was always this like really extreme process that took years, like years and years because <laughs> uh, there was a lot of a lot of perfectionism going on and a lot of like second guessing of our styles and the sounds that we were making. Yeah, man, it was a crazy period of time, like. <laughs> to think about like all of the time I spent recording turn-ons records. <laughs> Soon, Blood would find himself with a new transformational music partner that would lead to the formation of the Black Constellation. More on that after the break. You develop a system. It's a it's a language. You learn these things. And there is a shared language. There's a common language with musicians in particular in a recording environment that we all understand. Like we all understand what bright means. We all understand what uh, round means as opposed to square when we're talking about sound. We're all in a relationship with sound. And there is a shared language. When you collaborate with an individual, especially over a period of time, that lexicon expands and becomes more es esoteric. Like me and Ish, uh, we. Do you know how many times I have crunched up vocals? To any producer, the idea of collaboration is crucially important to creating a piece of art. 
the Blood's benefit, he's forged a musical partnership with Ishmael Butler, which started in the late 2000s and continues to this day. Smooth, smooth. I read in a prior interview that uh, you wanted to get your copy of Blowout Comb signed. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And that it was a bootleg. (laughs) Oh, it was a bootleg. I didn't know that. (laughs) Yeah, man. (laughs) Our friend Bubba, like I was telling you, Bubba Bubba Jones was like, hey, Ish is going to be in in the studio. Uh, Bubba's, his studio was where I used to work. Used to mix and stuff out of him, so he was like, "Yeah, it's just gonna be in the studio working on cherry wine." And uh, I said, "Oh, cool. Do you think he would sign my copy of Blowout Comb?" <laughs> so I brought it in and just left it there. And yeah, he <laughs> he signed it. He didn't even he didn't even talk shit when he found, when he looked at it and was like, "Oh yeah, that's not even that's not even official." <laughs> it's a cool man. It's a cool man. The PJs, the eject these herbs, that's words to green herb, not the curbs. I play that like cream motion cream hustler, nappy here, loyal slick, loyal to kicking dirty snare, little panther. So Bubba Jones, who was my mentor, um, like got me got me working in studios, uh he knew Ish from I believe like high school, childhood, some shit. Like old school Seattle C D shit. And uh he told me like, oh, Ish is going to be at the studio. He's going to come here and do some stuff. And I, I don't think I believed him at first. <laughs> it's like, yeah, right. You're full of ideas. Uh, but yeah, he, sh- he shows up. I didn't get to meet him till much later, but uh, Bubba played him the turn-ons. And Ish apparently liked the turn-ons. So he comes to a turn-on show. I meet him at a spiritualized show uh which again come on like (laughs) he's just there he's just there and yeah that was the dopest shit in the world i had been an admirer since reaching you know like like i loved diggable still do and it was one of those things of like oh shit like this is a hero what am i gonna do like how am i gonna play this one and meeting him at a spiritualized show it's like holy shit like common ground in this weird way and an unexpected common ground was he wearing shades hell yes he was wearing shades <laughs> he was wearing shades and a really nice hat uh and he had he had his hair was like blown out um he looked so good uh he looked so good and he was just like he always looks good it wouldn't be long before ishmael would transition from distant hero to close musical partner Blood became an integral part in Shabazz Palace's debut EPs. He co-produced those with Ish under the moniker Knife Nights and has worked with Ish on nearly every album since. There's not really a lot said. Like, it's mostly... Like, we're usually just talking shit. But then the work the work just happens like he'll he'll pull up a track and just just have me sit and go at it and and the way that we communicate with each other 
is really just, I guess we just show, not tell, you know, like we just do what we want to do, you know, like here, I'm, like, let me do this. Let me, let me hear this. Let me, and that's that. One of the Shabazz projects Blood finds himself revisiting is 2014's Lace Majesty. Still, like every time I listen to that one, I'm, I have enough distance from it now that I'm like amazed that I had anything to do with it. Like, it's so, it's a magical piece of music. When we built our studio, Black Space, that was the first thing that we did, was Lee's Majesty. It was the first project that was like born and created in that space. And it was really, it was just amazing. Like, it was just great. Like, we were learning a space. We were learning a new kind of system of working. And yeah, man, like people would come through and just end up on the record. <laughs> That's just how it is when you when you work. Like if you walk into a studio, you're going to end up on a record at some point. But um, it was just a very exploratory month of time. You know, I, I'm going to just guess it was a month. I, I honestly can't remember. But... Yeah, we just ideas and processes swirling around constantly, and it was just wonderful, wonderful time. And then to have that be the result of it is like it's indescribable, really. We don't pose or talk or move. Stellar beings like stepping group. Hook a plot, absurd views. We don't wait on a word from you. Find you with by the grand you get. Sham you sit while we stand, you sit. Not long after Shabazz got off the ground, Blood would meet Stas the boss and the satisfaction. <laughs> Blood is <laughs> a bad bitch. <laughs> bad bitch, bad bitch, bad bitch. Ooh, she bad. What up, baby? <laughs> bad bitch, bad bitch, bad bitch. Oh, you know you like that sound. Five bitches sitting next to the rug. They were flying on that carpet and they needed some love. I reached over and grabbed one shoulder and said, Yes, would you go? She said, Maybe, baby, later, maybe after my show. Eric Blood is very special to me. I met Eric Blood very randomly, but cosmically. Kat and I, we were performing with the satisfaction. We were performing this Pride event that was held in Cal Anderson Park. Me and my friends were going to, I think we were just going to get tacos at uh, Rancho Bravo. And we were walking through Cal Anderson Park and we heard this music and we were just like, it was straight up like snake charmer music. Like we all just, our heads turned to the side and we just walked like zombies over to the stage. Well, it wasn't a stage, it was just ground. But there were Sauce and Cat putting on this show. And I can't remember what the festival was. It was like some um, cute, like queer, punky park festival, you know? And they put on, they did their set and I was just like, holy shit. And me and three other, the three people I was with, we were just like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. We had three shows that day. Mind you, this was during crazy-ass pride. It was hot as hell. And 
we were performing and we got done. He came up to us. He was like, I know you guys are uh, through Frank. Frank had been doing our PR. This was before Frank was on Sub Pop, too. So Frank was doing our PR, pro bono, by the way. But uh, Eric was like, yeah, we need to work. I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> you know? He was very sweet and kind. I had no idea that he was um, engineering and fucking with Ish or Shabazz either. I immediately called Ish and was like, you have got to check out this group, Be Satisfaction. <laughs> they are going to blow your mind. And I did everything. I, like, I looked up everything, did all the Google alerts and all that shit and found out they were playing again at the Pride Festival that weekend. So we went to the Pride Festival, <laughs> saw them perform again and bought their CDs. Like they had like, these little homemade CDR shits that they were selling. But we bought all their shit and I talked to them and I was like, I love you. I love you. I love you. Please let me record you. It was just, you know, like I said, cosmic when we met. Um, beautiful. Like he was for Ish, Blood became a key collaborator with Satisfaction when he went into the studio. Stas even credits him for pushing the duo to write what would become their most popular song. Some of these songs wouldn't even have been of songs without Eric. Yo, like Eric, he would let us have creative control when we was in the studio, you know, because it's our shit. But he loves our shit so much that he just sees where it could go. So he would never let me get away with doing these little two-minute songs. <laughs> he was like, get a fucking bridge in there, you know? Write more. Say something else. Like, he he didn't have his foot on my neck, but he had his, you know, his hand around my neck. <laughs> Especially, like, Queens. Queens was going to be an instrumental. Um, and he was like, nah, you got to write to that. And when we wrote to it, it was just Kat singing. He was like, no, you need a bridge, Stas, and you need to, like, really like say some wild shit so so that's why queens is as long as it is thank you eric blood uh for doing that for us he like helped us like perfect our sound like i would say he's the third member of the set On Naturel Sessions would become a key moment that began to plant the seed of the Black Constellation. This is kind of the, th- this is around the moment that things started to grow outside of just, just me and Ish. Like, as far as the studio goes, like we, it started to feel like a crew was, was forming, you know? Because OC was in on the VSAT Sessions, Tendai came in and did some percussion Ish came in and, you know, did a couple of verses. Like it was, it was, everyone was kind of involved. And that was, I think the thing, like every, it felt like everybody was involved. And that, that continued on, like through Lee's majesty, everyone was involved. Everyone just came in and 
started contributing things. And then when we were doing Earthy, same thing. Like more people would come in and the constellation grows, you know? Is collaboration like a necessary ingredient of your creativity? It's necessary for me to feel a certain way about it. When everything is just me, I get a little stuck in the weeds. And honestly, everything that I've done, every piece of music that I've put out for the most part is in some way collaborative. And I need it. Like I need, I need people. I need that energy. I need the energy of other folks. I think I used to be a little more weary of, uh, or leery of collaboration because I think I had that Prince mode thing in my head of like, written, produced, performed by Prince, you know, and, and me thinking like, I have a vision and I would like to see that vision through to the very end. I think without collaboration, your vision is limited. Like you can't see over a hill without someone to lift you. Blood is a master collaborator and connector for other people's projects, but that's just one facet of the picture. Listening to his solo work is like stepping backward and finding out that you've been looking at one small corner of a gigantic mural this whole time. That was the feeling when he released his first album, The Way We Live, in 2009. Blood can't confine himself to a single genre, but his solo work often veers into guitar-heavy sounds like shoegaze while keeping strong pop melody at the front and center. Dave Siegel reviewed Blood's debut for Seattle's alt-weekly, The Stranger. I think he's amazing with his melodies and his ability to craft hooks that are pretty subtle, but they, they worm their way into you and they stay with you. can make individual instruments like he, he gives them space to 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 shine I, I think that's a real talent of his in the studio his aptitude for for bass frequencies really stands out i know he's a big fan of my bloody valentine and cocktail twins i think he's aspiring to that level of of layer guitar layering and unusual textures if he wanted to just focus on rock, he could he could be a major 
figure in that field, but I think he's too ambitious and creatively restless to just remain in one genre for too long. He is bringing shoegaze and dream pop back to black people where, you know, it, it started, we originated that shit, you know. He took that shit from us, or tried to. He's bringing it back to black. Much love for that, Eric. While his music sounds sophisticated, Blood intentionally keeps his creative process loose. I don't understand creating under a defined process. You know what I mean? Like, like that's... <laughs> I think every time I've tried to do that, I've just been stuck. Defining your process is basically just enforcing parameters or enforcing boundaries. I think it's the like true creative process, if any, is... Um, learn everything you can and use it at your disposal. Like, just do do any and everything until you like what you have. When I'm writing songs, I don't think about what it what it's going to be. At least not anymore. It is just trance state and <laughs> and then you know summoning whatever whatever spell I can. And then that, that goes with lyrics too. It's just vowels. Like every, all, every song I write, it's just like vowel sounds. And then, then I, you know, start hearing phrases in those vowel sounds and I write them down. And sometimes they end up meaning something. After releasing The Way We Live, Blood turned back to production but never took his eye off the solo work. He steadily kept working on his second album, Touchscreen. Uh, Touchscreen. So Touchscreens was re- like written and recorded during the sessions for Black Up. Um, like exactly the same time. And I think, I think also the Satisfactions album All Natural, I think we were recording that too. I had boundless energy, the energy of youth, and had all these ideas and shit. Uh, and yeah, like there was a good vibe going on in the world for me <laughs> at that time. While Blood will be first to admit he often struggles with lyrics, he found another artistic muse for his new material, namely pornography. Sorry to cut in. How did you um how did you get into the world of porn like as a as an intellectual? <laughs> the same <laughs> this, the same way everybody gets into the world of porn is by jerking off to it. Like it was just <laughs> like watching it. You you watch it. You see what it, you see what's up. I always have an issue writing lyrics like sometimes I'm I just have nothing to say, so I don't want to just say something for the sake of saying it. And at that time I just I knew a lot about porn. I knew a lot about pornography, particularly like golden era, 70s, 80s pornography. Just, you know, from 
internet searches and and listening to commentaries on DVDs and shit like that. Like it was just really fast. I was super fascinated with that. You know, as a kid, I would have friends whose parents had porn collections and things like that. Like mine didn't, or if they did, they hid it real well. Um, but yeah, like it was always this fascinating kind of secret treasure to me was was the porn collection that people's parents had, or the porn that you would find in the woods, which I think is a bygone thing. I don't know if kids still find porn in the woods anymore, but that was a weird ass thing and very true. Uh, so yeah, it was for real. It was just like it, it's exciting. Porn was exciting and titillating, and do, it does the things it's designed to do. For whatever reason, it may have just been that the internet made it super super easy to like find stuff and find information about these things that I had seen as a child or these things that I thought I remembered. So I was able to look them up and see them again. Find out I wasn't making things up, you know. <laughs> So that's it. Like, it was just fascination, really. In 2016, Blood released his dreamiest, arguably best album yet, Lost in Slow Motion. A huge part of that record was contributions from vocalist Irene Barber. I was in a creative rut, I think, post-touch screens, didn't know what to do, um, and just thought, shit, like maybe Irene wants to wants to do some shit. So I just asked her if she wanted to help me make another record, and she did, thank God. Rachel and Quiet were the first two songs he sent me, I believe. When he sent me those as well as some other songs that would eventually be on Transom and Lost in Slow Motion. Man, hearing those for the first time, I was just mesmerized. Like, step into a new dimension, kind of mesmerized. They really resonated with me. They were just these beautiful soundscapes and lyrically gorgeous as well.
further Blood's solo work developed, the more theatrical his looks and performances came. If you went to an Eric Blood show for years, you were likely going to see him in that white face paint, mask, and wide-brimmed hat seen on the Lost in Slow Motion cover. Part of it is was my my kind of uh, lethargy for live shows, um, particularly for the kind of music that I make and that that the music that I like to go see a lot or that I listen to at home tends to be kind of contemplative or or you know it's not stand around in a bar music a lot of the times. I think in my mind the costumes were a way to draw people's attention and make them focus. And especially the like the look that I was rocking with the black, where it was just black, 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 and then the white stripe over the eyes. I could literally disappear on stage, so I would I would frequently just like put my head down to disappear, and then bring it back up to remind everybody like, oh, it's there's still there's still a person up there. <laughs> Talk about spells, you know? Yeah, like pay attention, but also <laughs> I am. Well, missing. it is because I am, you know. I am performing a spell like it is the, it always is. And, and it has a, there are rights and there are movements that need to be followed. And there, there are tones that need to be embodied and your participation is part of it as an audience member. And, you know, like as McCoy was talking about spells, (laughs) sometimes they don't go the way you want them to go. Sometimes they're, sometimes they have different effects than you intend. Yeah. But yeah, it really is just, intentional performance of the songs you know it is the performance of a spell so to make it have more impact make it look like something most recently bloods embarked on a sexy slinky funky new project called pink lotion with rachel ferguson had previously worked with Rachel recording her band Night Train. In 2019, Ferguson was asked to do a performance as part of the Object as Subject residency at the Satellite in Los Angeles. All of her usual bandmates were out of state, and she wasn't sure what to do. However, she knew Blood was also now living in L.A. So that's when I called up Eric, and I uh, basically was like, um, can you help me? <laughs> I just need to perform something for an hour. What should we do? <laughs> or, or can you help me do this? And he basically just took my hand and said, no problem. I got you. And we developed pink lotion. <laughs> I would like to know It's so much fun. 
Because he was all like, I think we should do disco. I think it should be extra smutty. It should be like overtly sexual and 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 deeply funky. And I was like, oh, yeah, let's 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 ham it up. <laughs> For sure. How was that first performance? Oh, so much, so much fun. I mean, like jittery, but like so much fun because I don't know. It was just like very, it was very satisfying to just uh, let it all out there and, and like be this like other, these other types of beings on this stage, these beings from wherever, like <laughs> planet sextopia or whatever, Yeah, you know, like... <laughs> And to just like lose all these inhibitions and trust in the music that we made. Me and Rachel just want you to laugh and have a good time. Like it's just meant to be easy and fun. And that's maybe to me the quickest, (laughs) the quickest route to ease and fun <laughs> uh, is is sexuality like because everybody has it and uh, everybody likes to likes to play around with it so it's it's fun to kind of poke poke the bear so to speak <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna give the people what they want and and and, and uh, that is just just central <laughs> central deep aural pleasure <laughs> After a near decade producing together as Knife Nights, Blood and Ish decided to make a formal Knife Nights record. In 2018, they released their first album, One Time Mirage, alongside all star band including OC Notes. Marquita Miller, Stas, Porter Ray, even myself. We set out specifically to make a Knife Nights record. Definitely on Ish's goading, like he was like, no, we should do this. We should make a Knife Nights record. So yeah, we spent a few weeks just jamming, really, like just jamming in the studio. You know, Otis would come in, Stas would come in. Everybody ends up on a record. You walk in the door, you end up on a record. <laughs> that record was super fun to make. It's also a blur. Like I, I, <laughs> I remember the sessions, and I remember hanging out and getting high and and playing. But yeah, so however how it became the record that it actually became, total mystery to me. I I'm like it's completely wiped away from my brain. As I mentioned in our last episode on OC Notes, Knife Nights is very much a rock band. More than that. The band dug deep into their punk rock soul. All I gotta do is get my wires uncrossed. Then I can't take over and I'll be the boss. All my dreams I've had of ruling the world, controlling all the friends and owning the girls. I'll make all the money I'll even print my So I always think of it as like his punk aesthetic and when i'm when i say punk i mean i mean it kind of in the in the sense that everything everything can be punk like everything is like every anything that's handmade is kind of punk you know what i mean like yeah so in the religious sense and not the aesthetic stance correct like like 
basically saying fuck you to any rule any rule that's punk to me so like the knife nights record is punk as fuck and drag race legend is punk as fuck like that's that's just that all just spilled out in the in the amount of time that that song lasts that's how long it took to make it pretty much like we just it was me and otis and ish in the in the lab high as fuck and then bang that just falls out falls out into the air same with the uh mr president the last track on that Mm. was uh me and ish and larry mizell jr and um yeah we were just like fucking around we were just fucking around and then out of nowhere like i'm playing this weird guitar riff there's ish has a drum loop going and then suddenly ish just it that entire song just fell out of him (laughs) <laughs> it just fucking fell out like on the ground and we luckily we're recording the shit and you hear it you hear me and Larry at, at the end of it going oh my god <laughs> <laughs> While Blood made a massive impact on Seattle, in recent years, he's relocated to Los Angeles. He still comes up to Seattle often and has got love in spades from the local music community. Beyond his skills as a producer and musician, what really brings folks back to Blood is the guy himself. He's sassy. You know? <laughs> like, he's like, and you can hear that in the way he sings. He's like, bitch, you know? <laughs> but he's like strong sassy like you know like he can like get something out of you you know what I mean blood is blood he's literally the sweetest man on earth I just think he's really good at I don't know I think he's so good at connecting people yeah he's a petty queen (laughs) and I really I'm really here for it like I don't know that there's really anyone I love talking shit with more than Eric blood the man has so many opinions, and they are all correct. Eric Blood, one of the most intriguing and mysterious characters I've ever come across in Seattle music and music beyond. Uh, the first time we got together with him, he wanted to go out for drinks, and he gave me some advice on threesomes, when to, when not to. You know, boundary advice, as any, um, you know, guru would give. And it wouldn't be great if it wasn't a little weird, too. I remember after playing a string of shows down the West Coast, he said, we weirded some people out, which is always the goal. And I think that right there pretty much sums up what it's like to play with Eric. I'm such a weird person. And the fact that Eric is able to understand and accept that quality of me is is the biggest thing. It's, it's to to feel understood, to feel listened to and like like genuinely like he's he's just good with that. And then also, I just love where his head is at in general, creatively. The lines to, from one idea to the other idea, 
and so on that he goes through. I'll, I'll follow it anywhere because he's a genius, certified genius. As far as legacy goes, like we're leaving behind a collection of music that I think will live forever. <laughs> like, I don't think Black Up will ever be not cool. Yeah, I don't think anything that we've done is going to ever not be cool. So, like, yeah, it's. But I think when you're when you're in it, like, I also think we're still we're still evolving and creating. We're still expanding uh, ourselves and and the constellation. In my opinion, like, it's still a growing, living thing. So, legacy legacy to me is is when you look back at things. Yeah, legacy to me is after death. You know. Um, so I'm not ready to die yet. I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm here for, I have a, a bunch more shit to make. Gotta stay busy. Next time on Fresh Off the Spaceship, we look at the work of interdisciplinary artist and wizard, Nep Sidhu. This episode of Fresh Off the Spaceship was written, produced, and edited by Martin Douglas, Janice Headley, Dusty Henry, Isabel Khalili, and myself, Larry Mizell Jr. Audio was produced and mastered by Julian Martlew, with additional audio editing by Janice Headley. We'd like to thank Sub Pop Records and all the members of the Black Constellation for giving us permission to include their music in this episode. We'd also like to thank our volunteers, Elena Clark and Natalie Vinn, for their work transcribing interviews. And we want to thank you, the listener. My name's Isabel Kelly. I'm one of the folks who's been working on this podcast, and I'm here to remind you that KEXP is listener-funded. That means that the freedom we have to pursue projects like this podcast comes completely from the support of our community. And if you're here with us now, you're part of that community. So if you've enjoyed what you've heard so far and want to support the show, you can go to kexp.org slash fresh. A one-time gift of $35 can make a huge difference. Or if you prefer to show your support in a different way, it would mean a lot to us if you shared this podcast with someone you think might enjoy it. And of course, leaving a rating, a review, really helps other people find the podcast. So thanks again, and hope you can join us on the next episode to learn more about the artists of the Black Constellation.